Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us, your servants, grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, does, uh, does anybody know the Boy Scout motto? Uh, now, and I'm, I'm a motto and not the oath. You got the motto? It's the shortest one. You, you got it. You got it. You got it, Aiden? Oh, I, th- I, I thought you were waving at me. It's be prepared. You remember that one? Oh, yes. He remembers that now. So I can see we have some scouts. Do we have former scouts with us as well? Greg and I were in the same scout troop. So, so he says. He says a lot of things that we were in the same thing. Um, <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I actually believe him, but it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing what five years difference of age makes back in those days. Well, there, well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's good clarification, Greg. Thank you. Well, so, but, but that's, the, that's really kind of the job of the scouts. Um, and and I, I really don't know much about if, if things have changed much or whatever. I haven't been involved. But as, uh, as I was involved, what the scouts meant and what I recognize it to be is a thing to prepare boys with skills to not only survive like out in the wild, but then it, it's, you're, you're, they're building leadership skills that will serve these boys to lead and, and be effective in their next sphere of life after the scouting days or, or behind them. And then there does remain a camaraderie of uh, those who achieved, the, the, you know, you, you were at it so long that you achieved the Eagle Scout rank, and that camaraderie still exists. There's a group that meets locally that are any old former, uh, you don't have to be old, but any former Eagle Scouts uh, gather for some fellowship and, and what have you and, and try to be of service still to others. Um, but uh, they, Eagle Scouts, even more so, uh, were exposed to all kinds of different uh, various situations that would help prepare them and, and with a uh, skill set and leadership abilities to prepare them in that or propel them forward in that next stage of life. Well, what does it mean for us to be prepared in our faith? Uh, I, and as effective as, as the Boy Scouts are for preparing uh, boys to become men and, and, and helping them be prepared, it's different for us in the Christian faith. But we are to be prepared. Today's passage teaches us that the faithfulness in the Lord's absence, it will look like being, ready, uh, being at ready service for his kingdom, and a preparedness to receive him when he returns. And that's what we're going to look at today. So first we're going to look uh, at be prepared, in, in beginning in verse 35. Verse 35 says, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. This is an interesting it's, a, it's an interesting passage. It's an inter- there are some interesting words or phrases in here. Um, yesterday on our street, we had our neighborhood yard sale. And my sister-in-law participated with us 
and I offered her a seat up on our porch, which she declined. She, she didn't want to be all the way up on the porch. That's three steps. She didn't want to be all the way up on the porch. She wanted to be down among the people, ready for action, ready to pounce. That's what she said. And, and her and Becky thought it, they didn't want to take up the time of coming down the two or three steps that we have to get onto our porch to get near the people. And so Becky had set her chair up down, down, in the, uh, down among the tables. But it's that getting ready to pounce. And I thought it was interesting that this is, what, this is that preparedness that Jesus is describing here. It's, it's, he, he uses this term. He says, um, be dressed for action. Well, this means to gird up your loins or tighten up your pants and get ready to pounce. They're ready to move no matter what happens. At the, at the spur of the moment, be ready. And, and this is a, kind of an on-guard thing. And then he says, um, oh, I, 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 sh- I, should say, I should say before I get more into this, that this concept of the wedding feast is unrelated to the end times wedding banquet or that great banquet at the end times. This, the, he's talking about coming back, but he's also talking about a wedding feast and like you might be conflating these things. This is just an illustration and he's using a wedding banquet as an illustration because a wedding, uh, a Jewish wedding, could last several days. It might last as much as a, as a week. And, the, and what he's using as the illustration is there would be servants in the home who are going to stay prepared and awake day and night, waiting for the master to come back, the groom, with his bride, and come back and be ready to greet him at the door. So they wouldn't know when he's returning, so they must be prepared at all times. And this is what he's using as that uh, as his example. So then he tells them to be dressed, ready for action. That girding your loins might be taking your robes and tucking them into your belt so you're ready to move. That would... In their day, that where they were wearing those long robes, they needed to get them out of their way so that their feet could move quickly. That's what that's talking about, being dressed ready for action. Then he tells them to keep your lamps burning, which indicates, I think it actually indicates several things, but one of the things it indicates is that you need to be ready whether it's day or night. You need to be ready because uh, this master is coming and you don't know when. It would take energy... And, and we, we, I think we read this and breeze right over it and, and we're done because we flip lights on. And I, I, I still think it's magic. You flip a switch and lights come on overhead and now we can see. It took more effort to keep your lamps burning. So they would have to trim the wicks. They would have to keep oil in their lamps. Um, there's an intentionality that goes into this. I mean, has anybody ever run out of gas? I mean, that's, this is, I'm famous for that. I've done this like lots. And I have gauges. I, I've had gauges that don't work, but I've had gauges that do work and I still run out of gas. Why? Well, I'm not prepared. I don't care. So I don't look. And that's not a good attitude when you're talking about running out of your fuel for your light. You have to be conscientious. You have to keep the lantern full of oil. You have to, having to trim the wick. These are mundane tasks in order to be prepared. And I find this interesting that he would tell you to do such mundane tasks as keeping your lamps lit. Yes, I think it's readiness at night. But I think that also includes this, the, the mundane tasks in order to make that happen. And we are charged to do lots of mundane tasks. Everything that we do for the Lord is not necessarily big, fantastic, and exciting. We're in service to the kingdom in everyday, ordinary, mundane tasks. But we do that to be prepared for when he returns. 
as this master would approach the house, if he approached the house at night, he would see that the lights were lit up, that, you know, that there's light in the house. He would know that they expected him to return. And then when he reaches the door, the servants would greet him, open the door, greet him, and welcome him in with his new bride. They wouldn't want to leave him standing outside the door in the dark, with it being dark inside, and him having to rap on the door and rouse the sleepy people, his servants, because they didn't know exactly when he was coming. So now we're all in bed, put away, and we don't really care when you return. Now, even when my children visit, uh, and they typically will come in like in the middle of the night, if I do go to bed, I at least flip the outside light on so that they can see to get in. They know that I know that they're welcome. They know that I know they were coming. Uh, this is this is a bit of that thing. It's just a hospitality thing in this sense, where they to be a good host or to be a good uh, servant, you're going to please the master and let him know that we were waiting for you. Well, us as Jesus' servants, we must be prepared. So, how do we do that? Well, we foster our, our relationship with Jesus as we feed on His Word, as we love. Him, as we love His people. And as we love people, I will differentiate between His people and people in general. Those who are claimed by Him to be the church, yes, we need to love. And, and that's how we practice. We, the beauty of the church, it's a, it's a place for a bunch of broken people to come together to practice loving broken people by the power of the Spirit so that we can go into the world and love more broken people um, out there. So, we're to practice that here. And what's interesting is that the disciple who is feeding on him, the one who is being drawn more and more into him, is yearning for more of him, has less and less love of the world. It's, it's, it's not a both and. It's kind of an either or. And we're being more drawn into him. And that's that Luke 9.23 thing about picking up your cross, dying to yourself daily and following him. The more you're drawn into him the more you die to your own selfish desires and needs. The disciple who is motivated by gratitude for what the Lord has done in their life studies his word, meets with him in prayer, hates sin, and loves righteousness. Does that sound like you? Does that describe you? Do you attend to the mundane Christian disciplines of meeting together, worship, reading your Bible, praying, and serving? If so, then... You will be ready to receive him when he comes because you are prepared. The next thing we see in this passage is how the, those who are faithful are blessed. The prepared are blessed. Verse 37. Verse 37 says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. What, what happens when the master finds his servants are faithful? He blesses them by dressing himself for service, such as, you know, and after supper, he arose from the table, he took, out, took off his outer garment, tied the towel around his waist. Does that sound like familiar language? That's familiar language of Jesus the king serving and washing the disciples' feet the night before he died or the night he died. The surprising shift in this story is that the master is pleased with his servants who were prepared for him, 
and then he serves them. What a, what a strange concept this is. See, on a, on a wedding day, a Jewish bride would be treated like a queen, and the Jewish groom would be treated like a king. And after all, he is the master of the house, and they are his servants. So one would not expect the groom to come home with his bride and then turn the tables and start serving the servants. The expectation would be that he's been greeted now. He's been greeted well. They were awake. They've come in. And it seems very reasonable that that kind of pattern would continue. But Jesus turns this thing upside down. He he likes to do this as he's telling these stories. He throws this shock and awe thing in there that you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. It says that the master puts on his clothes to serve them and has them recline at table and he serves the servants. But this is just what our King Jesus is going to do. When he returns and finds his faithful servants, he will minister to us and serve us. A beautiful picture of God's grace in action here. All of this shows us that the disciple is to labor with one eye looking to heaven looking for Jesus' return. We are, in, are to anticipate the return of Christ at any time. Not by quitting everything we do, saying, well, I feel like he's coming soon, so I'm going to quit paying my bills and I'm going to quit my work. Uh, that's, and and we, hear of, we hear of sometimes, we also understand we don't know the day or the hour. Sometimes people come up with a date or an hour and some people buy into it and then just kind of quit everything. And they like, check out from life altogether because why, why worry about it? If he's coming back, I, don't, I could charge whatever I want on my credit card and never have to pay for it. But this, is, this is not a quitting. It's not a retirement exercise. This is a duty exercise, something to even make us be uh, probably busier. We're to be diligently, diligently working at what he has called us to do for his kingdom. And then we do that because we're going to know that we will be evaluated by our performance. It's a stewardship thing. And then our, if we've done well in our efforts... We will be given more to serve in his kingdom. 38 says, If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So the second and third watches are references to night watch, most likely dividing... um, in three equal parts, the time between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. The Romans had one way and the Jews had another. So this is likely the, uh, the idea of that. And, with the, and, and, and he, he's saying at, at, at the last hour that a faithful servant would still be awake. And Jesus then shifts this analogy from the servants and the master coming home for more shock. He compares himself with the thief in the night, that he's going to come back when nobody expects this. And he says, if the master had known when he was coming back, he wouldn't have left the house. So it's that thing about being prepared. Um, Last summer or fall or sometime at our own home, on our back porch, I had some of my clothes stolen off of our line. We had hung up to dry. And you all can tell by the way I dress, I really have nothing worth stealing anyway. So you must have, he, this fellow must have been pretty desperate in order to take my clothes. But I, I, and, I, I, and I think of this from time to time. I'm like, well, if I would have just looked out, I, I was there. I was, I, was, I was present the whole time. This was not as we were gone. Now, it could be that I was asleep. But still, you, you're like, well, what if 
uh, I was up late. I could, I could have heard it, but I didn't hear it. I didn't look. I didn't just happen to look. But what if I'd have happened to look or, or sometimes step out, just see what things are going on out, out back and flip a light on it? There he would be. And so I play these what-if games. Not, I don't get too troubled by that. These, whatever was stolen, I don't even know what it was now. And it, they, it's not like I got a lot of money tied up in that stuff. So it's not a great big hurt. This, some of you have had real issues and things to overcome. That's not, I'm not talking about that. Um, and I'm not comparing, you know, I'm not comparing that. But I do wonder, like, what if? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know when he was coming. If I had known when he was coming, I'd have stayed awake longer. I'd have sat out on the porch. I'd have had more lights on. And perhaps in the neighborhood I live in, maybe I just need to expect somebody's going to come by. But I... Well, you know, do whatever, yeah, steal my clothes, get into my cars, because that's what we do there. Um, you, you just never know. So I probably should have expected it, but it didn't. So, but th- when I'm reading through this, this is, reminds me, I had no idea when the guy was coming. So there was nothing more I could do to protect myself from that. So that's Jesus' point in this passage. You don't know when he's coming back. So you must be prepared so that you are found faithful. Verse 40 says, you also may be, must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Robert Murray McChain, a Presbyterian pastor, would ask people, do you believe that Jesus is coming today? Then if they answered no, he would simply say, well, then you'd better get ready because he's coming at an hour when you don't think he is. So what about you? Do you think he's coming today? And if that answer is no, then you better get ready. Because he may come today then. It's, a, it's at a time that you don't expect him to come. The next thing we see is a warning of reciprocal judgment. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? And, and, the, and, and, the, and Jesus doesn't seem to answer this. He just goes on. So evidently it's to all and not just to uh, the, the 12 or, uh, at this point. So 42 says, And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So see, this is a, this is a lesson in stewardship. We who are faithful over little will be given more. The servant who fed the Lord's household well was diligent and persevered even in the absence of the master. And he will be blessed with greater service. Now, he will be given greater responsibility to steward. Is it, so this is the concept and, and the language I used as well as, which, you know, so he's feeding the household. I think it could be compared to leaders and preachers. And I, I'm telling you this because I'm going to get into another example where I'm going to use leaders, bishops, and priests. But, it, but I don't want you to re- have that removed. Um, I think it's a fine example. But I think there's this thing that we are individually called to be at service in the kingdom. So whatever, whatever your role in the kingdom is, that's the, that's the equivalent of feeding his household. So I may be relating this to feeding the household as me feeding you his word. Um, I don't want you to limit it that way. If you're faithful in whatever it is the Lord's called you to do in the kingdom, that's being faithful in feeding his household. Let's look at 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming... And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready. 
or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So he's got this great contrast here between those who are faithful in those 41 through 44. uh, And then he contrasts that with the unfaithful in this next section here that we just read. And it's easy for our zeal to fade, is it not? Uh, Many of us have recalled when we were first uh, saved or when we first came to Christ of the zeal we experienced and, and, and operated in at that time. As time goes by, sometimes our zeal fades. As that hour of the night wears on, our, our eyes get heavy and uh, we start nodding off. And we say, well, maybe he's not coming back. And I'm sure some of you can think of the classroom that you left and then you were going longer than you thought you might. And initially it was very quiet. But then the longer you were gone, the more the noise grew. So much so that it was very loud by the time you returned to the classroom because they're thinking, well, she's not coming back. He's not coming back. And then you open the door and it's, uh uh-oh, they are surprised that you even returned. When you told them, I will be back in five minutes, please be quiet. We operate that same way. But if we're not careful with this lesson, we take this lesson and then we look to ourselves to evaluate our performance, which, because it's talking about being evaluated on performance. So if we're not careful, we're going to look at ourselves and say, how are we doing? And we want to perform well. But if the only reason that you are working for the Lord's kingdom is to be found satisfactory when he returns, we've got the wrong idea anyway. This is not how that works. But this is very easy to just, just in the natural reading of this, and this alone, outside of context of the the whole gospel, outside of the context of the New Testament, out of the context of the whole Bible, we turn it into something that we are judged on our performance, and so we want to be concerned about how well are we doing. I think that we've got to be very careful because we want to not forget the gospel. We'll, we'll hit on that more in just a second. This, this contrast, though, see, is between the faithful and the unfaithful. It's all about their hearts. It's, it's the condition of their hearts of why, where their actions come from. The unfaithful will suffer a reciprocal judgment when he comes. Those that have abused their power or position and let others astray or cause the innocent harm, will be judged harshly. This is what I I think about bishops and pastors of churches who, out of love for the individual, then ends up calling something by, because cultural standards change, then the church leadership changes and says, This is not sin when God's word has declared this to be sin. And the reality, the cold reality, the scary reality is we are not faithful and we are not loving the individual to gloss over sin or not call sin sin just to uh, make people feel warm and comfortable in the midst of their sin. So this is kind of like, this is a piece of discipline. We don't like that word. There's there so many words we don't like. We don't like submission. We don't like discipline. But you know, love has discipline connected to it. A love without discipline is no love. It's just, it is no love. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. We are to discipline. We are to stand for truth. His word is what determines what is right, not cultural norms. So I think we're in troubling times by that. 
Now, I throw that out there, and then I just want to move on. I want to say that the unjust servant who abuses those under him in this parable will be cut to pieces and put with the unfaithful. And and I'm at uh, contradiction to some commentators I've read who are well-respected people, and I think a lot of them. I, I, and I'll agree with one thing. I don't think this is speaking of somebody losing their salvation, which is a, the, the line I read in a commentary. I think this is a illustration of a servant who was put in place who was never saved to begin with. They were never regenerated. They never knew the power of the grace of God. They never gave themselves to God at all. Well, who does that? That's no different than the unregenerate. Plus, this thing says that they're going to be treated harshly and then that they're going to be put with those who are unfaithful. So I think that's the harshest one, and I think that's really what it's talking about. Now, I will say that we have to be careful in how much we drill down in some of these parables because they're, may, they're meant for a main point. And uh, we don't want to drill down and make declarative statements too deeply or too uh, sharply in some of these sub-points. But I'm going to stand with that one anyway. Then, as the parable moves on, others are going to be punished according to what they know. Those who lead the church and teach others will be judged more harshly for the same sin as other, that others will commit who didn't know any better. Those who do know are to be held at a higher standard. James talks about this and says that's why all of you should not be teachers, for instance. So then Jesus says at the very end, he says, Everyone to whom much was given of, mu- of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We have been given much. So I don't, I don't want our eyes to be looking at the unfaithful or trying to sort out who's faithful, who's unfaithful. The conviction comes back on us. We've been given much. So much is expected from us. We live in the most advanced time of technology ever which, yes, could be used for bad, but it also could be used for good. beauty of that is you can listen to audio books, you can listen to the Bible, you can hunt up preachers and listen to sermons, you can do all kinds of things that the saints who've gone before us haven't been able to do. We have the whole, that you know, it's the longest point of church history ever. we got all this history behind us of all those saints who've gone before us. There are libraries Upon of books, upon every category of theology that uh, one could ever think of. The ability to know more is out there. Those people who have gone before us, the saints, we have the, more English translations than any generation before us. And the Lord has generously given us a safe place to worship and a family to be a part of as we grow together in Him so that we can learn more about Him, learn more about each other, practice how to love one another and serve His kingdom. We have been blessed. So, for us, let us continue to remember the gospel. We don't want to look at performance. What we really want to look at is the gospel. What we want to be able to remember on a daily basis is how a loving God, the creator of the universe, looked down upon us while we were in the midst of our sin and rescued us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So then... If we were able to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, we will want to live out of gratitude for who He is and for what He's done in us. As we live out of gratitude, we are going to, because we've been focusing then on His, our redemption in Him, 
And it is interesting, I think, that the thing that propels us forward in our Christian faith is the same thing that brought us to our Christian faith. It's the gospel. And so the gospel has great depth. So if you've been walking with the Lord for 93 years, the gospel still is significant to you. It's sweet music to your ears. And it sets you aright to be at work in his kingdom. So out of gratitude, then we, we focus on who he is and what he has done. And then we have more grace for one another. We're drawn more into him. Then you'll be ready when he returns. Though you don't know that day or the hour, you will know that you're ready when he returns. So when he comes, may he find you ready. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.